Welcome back to Latino in Chicago. This is your host, Eric Lugo. This episode features Yvette Cardona, Vice President of Programs at the Polk Brothers Foundation, a Chicago-based foundation that supports organizations providing direct services for communities in need in areas such as social services, education, cultural programs, and healthcare. The foundation's assets have grown to more than $400 million, with more than $20 million in grants distributed each year. Yvette joined Polk as an intern 19 years ago and was promoted to her current role from Senior Program Officer in 2012. On a personal note, I'm especially thankful to Yvette for being a mentor to me when I transitioned into a philanthropic role at J.P. Morgan Chase. She and the gentleman she mentions during the conversation, David Pesqueda, both made it a point to offer valuable advice as I stepped into this new space. Today, we learn about the history of the Polk Brothers Foundation, Yvette shares her history with Polk and how it works to support families in need. We hear about their approach to investing in violence prevention and intervention, as well as mental health services, how she's balanced bringing her whole self to philanthropic decision-making, Polk's efforts to integrate racial equality into their philanthropy, and how Latinos fit into that narrative. We also hear about how to get involved and get engaged in philanthropy. It was a real treat to connect with Yvette, and I hope you enjoy. Yvette, thanks for joining me on Latino in Chicago. Hi, Eric. It's really great to see you again and talk to you about uh, the work we're doing together. Absolutely, absolutely. So can you tell us a little bit about the Polk, Founda Polk Brothers Foundation and your role here? Sure. So the Polk Brothers Foundation is the legacy of the appliance and furniture stores that started in the 1930s. They were started by five brothers and one sister. Um, and the stores were located in the neighborhoods of Chicago. The family prides itself by never having had a store in the downtown area. There were 17 stores always located in the neighborhoods, and the stores were always very charitable to the communities they were located in. They would have block parties, they would hold events at the old Chicago Stadium. Um, they, they, were they really were about community and families. And so in 1988-89, the official foundation mm -hmm. uh, was began and was separated from the stores and uh, became a 501c3 and they seated the first board and a lot of the assets that the foundation had came from from the family as as the brothers passed their personal wealth went to family but their stake in the business went into the foundation so the assets started growing pretty quickly wow. so out the gate 1989 uh, the foundation started supporting the neighborhoods of Chicago again because the stores were located in the neighborhoods and uh, you know at the time is when the uh, second Mayor Daley was elected um, Chicago Public School reform was happening so a lot of things were converging that that really led to the vision of the foundation being about helping the families of Chicago public school children and all the different needs that they have it's great. And how has that work evolved into 2016, 2017 right, well, now? Yeah. I, I started with the foundation about 19 years ago. Wow. I started as a program intern from the University of Chicago School of Social Service Administration, never knowing that I would actually be working here. But they yeah. hired me after I graduated, and so I've been here for about 19 years. And 
Uh, you know, our, our grant making answers the question, what do Chicagoans impacted by poverty need? And so what they need are strong communities, strong families, access to quality education, quality health care, um, and access to the arts and learning. And so those principles have always guided the foundation in its grant making. It's how do we work with programs in underserved communities that help um, the constituents of those organizations access resources where they can help themselves, mm -hmm. right, so that they can improve their quality of life and live their lives to their fullest potential. Right, great. And what's your role here at Polk? So I'm, the, I'm now the uh, Vice President of Programs, so I oversee pretty much all of the grant making, working, working with um, six program officers as well as the CEO, our program director of education, to sort of guide how you get $22 million out the door when the need is so great and growing every day um, to really use that money effectively, strategically, thoughtfully, um, you know, to help programs, you know, do their work better. Yeah. What are some of the value points um, when you're making those types of decisions or supporting program officers in that decision making? Um, well, again, you know, the foundation has always, always believed in, again, family, community, um, having access. Um, you can, you know, have access to the foundation to um, program officers here to talk about the work that you're doing. Um, you know, I think we value integrity. Mm -hmm. We value um, living in a just world, mm -hmm. and um, you know, making sure again that the people have the resources they need to kind of self-actualize. Mm -hmm. Right. I think philanthropy can often be very top-down and can kind of come into communities and say this is how you are supposed to get things done or should do these things. Um, and so we have to really balance the knowledge that we gain by working with close to 400 organizations a year um, with what communities and families and individuals, you know, need and, and they're the ones that know best what they need for their community. So yeah. always being respectful of that. Um, and making sure that we're a learning organization and that the the groups that we fund are learning organizations because we don't have all the answers. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, I think Polk is considered one of those go-to foundations, right, in Chicago, one of the institutional players that, that that's at most um, civic tables. And I'm, mm -hmm. and I'm curious, you know, how you talked about philanthropy often being top-down. How do how do you think about bringing bottom up voice to philanthropy? Mm -hmm. Well, at Polk Brothers Foundation, we're we're very fortunate. Another value that we have is that our staff get to go out into the community. We get to make site visits to to the groups that we're supporting. We get to you know we're able to talk to people that we're not able to support yet. You know because again we want to make sure that we're having all the information that we need to bring back to our board to make the grant-making decisions that we're doing. Mm -hmm. You know, there are several colleagues that I have, other foundations that, for a variety of reasons, they don't have the staff capacity or they don't, um, you know, choose to kind of be out in the community because, you know, sometimes you elevate expectation if you're out in the community, yeah. you know, saying you're a funder and, and want to know what the need is. but. But we've always wanted our staff to go out um, so that we're not just reading stuff that's on paper about what the needs are and you know what they would like to use our money for. So I think having us, again, able to get 
outside of the office, in the field. You know, uh, another way is that a lot of the staff um, volunteer are, and are on boards of, uh, of nonprofits, both of groups that we support as well as those that we don't, because again, it's a way to learn about how nonprofits operate, mm -hmm. um, learn about governance issues, learn about how policy issues are affecting organizations. So again, we, we value our staff being out in the community. Yeah. I think that's how we try to make sure we're not getting too uh, high and mighty right. in the work that we do. How do you gauge whether or not your work and your investments are, are making a difference? <laughs> well, um, you know, reporting and talking about outcomes and, um, you know, listening to our grantees, you know, is always part of the review process. But, but, you know, I think what you're asking is how do we know that collectively our grant making is making a difference? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we have had um, our grant making reviewed by other outside organizations to see, you know, to go and talk to our grantees to see how we're doing both in the added value of our, um, you know, sort of just, again, being out in the community and talking with our grantees, not just being these mysterious people behind closed doors reading proposals. Um, but we, um, you know, so we have people kind of review our grant making in total um, mm -hmm. to see how we're doing. Our, our board is constantly asking us if our grant making is making a difference. You know, I think we can speak to, you know, how many organizations we're funding, how many folks those organizations are you know supporting and serving you know how many homeless people are getting housed because of the work that we're supporting how many you know children are getting into college because of what we support how many um, arts organizations are able to work in Chicago public schools right yeah how many legal services are being offered um, you know we, we we really look to do both you know sort of that output way of looking at what we do, right? The numbers served, how many people are getting services, how many hours of service, but we're also looking at, you know, what the outcomes are of the organizations because I feel if the organizations are producing really good outcomes for the, themselves, then our money is going a long way and, yeah. and we're also making sure that, that we're seeing the outcomes that we want. Yeah, solid. Um, I'm curious if if there's any kind of issue in Chicago right now that Polk is laser focused on, like it's like really thinking through significantly or or trying to kind of take on as, as maybe a new body of work or an extension of a current body of work. Yeah, several years ago we created a new program area called Safe Communities, which was really a way to look at some of the violence prevention and violence remediation work that we had been doing in our uh, youth and family support um, category. And we, re we really wanted to tease out that while there was um, sort of the family violence prevention work that we, we were doing around domestic violence, um, you know, child sexual abuse, there was also sort of community violence work that we had been um, funding. And so we wanted to kind of separate those two so that we could build on the safe communities work because again, answering the question, what do Chicagoans impacted by poverty and inequities need? They really need safe communities. Mm -hmm. And so we put some additional dollars into that area so that we could look at some youth justice work that was happening, community justice work. Um, you know, we fund organizations like, um, you know, uh, New Life Center of Chicago, 
Cure Violence, we're supporting BAM, uh, we're supporting the Chicago Survivors Group. Um, you know, we're looking at you know several other groups that are kind of working on more sort of intervention with both youth and adults that um, are already maybe in the system or in real serious danger of entering you know the justice system. Um, so we're, we're we're taking a look at a lot of sort of justice work that way. Um, we have an initiative that we launched uh, to look at mental health mm. uh, and chronic mental health of. Um, jail detainees at the uh, Cook County Jail. Um, I believe that uh, every year it's about 11,000 detainees leaving Cook County Jail with real chronic mental illness wow. and looking at how to break the cycle of them then cycling back into jail, mm -hmm. right? Because as we know, Cook County Jail is the largest provider of mental health services and we're trying to break that cycle. So we've been working with TASC on initiatives to look at um, how to better coordinate community-based organizations who are providing mental health services um, to figure out how to work better with um, you know, detainees that are leaving the jail system so to, to again, you know, break that that break that cycle. Um, similar to that, we were we worked with uh, Lurie's um, behavioral health team project um, around mental health services in Chicago public schools. Um, CPS has a multi-tier support system that really ensures that all students are getting some sort of mental health um, um, services, be it conflict resolution, social emotional learning, right, up to, you know, psychological services that a small percentage would need. And, and you know, I see it as a way to break that sort of school to prison pipeline that mm -hmm. is happening, right, if we can work with kids in Chicago public schools to make sure they're getting good mental health services, right work in the community to make sure services are available in a, coordin in a coordinated way work in the jail system to make sure we break that cycle that's happening you know mental health has really become an area that we've started to look a lot at yeah for sure for sure um, is there anything that you think Chicago can improve on as related to mental health services well you know I mean in Chicago there's you know never enough money mm -hmm. um, for all the work that is done um, I think that, uh, you know, with, you know, we have to say with the new administration in place, with the issues happening at the state level with the budget, there's been a real attention to mental health services, whether it's on a simpler, you know, again, counseling level, anger management with youth and adults up to, um, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy yeah. that is also being tried by the city, so I'm all for all of it yeah. being supported and, and worked on. Um, you know, I think we're seeing with, you know, the new administration kind of really causing a lot of anxiety mm -hmm. and fear amongst a lot of communities in Chicago, you know, throughout the state. We're definitely seeing increased need for those mental health services. So, you know, we're willing to work with organizations and, you know, with the city to see how we can take, you know, the resources that are available and, and try to leverage them um, so that more folks can be served. I also think that uh, the need for advocacy and mm -hmm. policy work, the need for collaboration is, you know, stronger than it's ever been. Um, you know, and, and yet it's a fine balancing act of, you know, funding systems work and yet funding, right, boots on the ground and the yeah. good work that is being done, especially as organizations are having 
you know, to cut staff and cut services. It becomes a real balancing act for funders to figure out, you know, how to use their dollars wisely. For sure. Uh, I'd like to transition a little bit to leadership and, and maybe even focus a, a, a little bit on identity, navigating, um, being a Latina um, inside philanthropy and certainly being a fierce advocate <laughs> outside of the role. Um, maybe let's start by, by, by talking a little bit about how uh, you've survived for 19 years in a foundation. <laughs> As a Latina, <laughs> as well as as however you want to frame yeah, yourself, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, you, you know, you're 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 aware of the saying when you know one foundation, you know one foundation, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm very fortunate to be working at a foundation that really values, I think, my totality, mm -hmm. right? Being a woman, being Latina, being a lesbian, I bring a lot of hats to the table and to mm -hmm. the decision making that is done here, and. This foundation has always, you know, respected my whole self, mm -hmm. right? respected my my wife, you know, my family, you know, and it has really allowed me the opportunity to continue to do my work out in the community. I really thought that when I got here, I was going to have to stop being on boards of directors, stop doing organizing because I was really supposed to be right part of this mysterious world that reviews proposals and gives money away yeah. but is disconnected and I and I was willing to do that for a while because I thought I needed to learn that side of the table in order to continue to do work on the ground but I was pleasantly surprised that again the foundation really valued right justice community accessibility and that part of that allowed me to continue to be who I was so that yeah. when I walked in the door in the morning here I didn't have to stop being Latina Right or gay or a woman, right? I I could bring all of that to the table and to everything that I was doing. And so I'll never forget one of the first, you know, sort of outside groups that I learned about was Chicago Latinos in Philanthropy, mm -hmm. right? Meeting you know David Pesquera, Carmen Prieto, and you know being allowed to you know go ahead and you know see you know get involved with them and yeah. became real source of professional development for me so I, I again I was really fortunate that um, I could bring my total self to the foundation now I know that wasn't the case at other shops um, maybe for a variety of reasons and so you know our work um, you know in, in philanthropy you know being Latina was important to just kind of represent right there yeah. is that sort of obligation to sometimes champion the flag a little bit more than you know folks might want you to but um, you know I've been I've been lucky here that I could be both sort of my activist and active advocate self mm -hmm. as well as the you know the funder side mm -hmm. and that's not the case with a lot of other shops yeah. um, again you know foundations are um, an interesting entity um, you know it is private money for public benefit and that's an intense tension that is always there about how both sides of that equation get defined mm -hmm. and you know who's obligated to do what and, and for what purpose um, and I'm just again fortunate here that besides um, you know doing public good that I'm also able to give the added value of, of having my identity inform you know the work that I'm doing yeah how would you uh, re reflect or 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 discuss the act your activist self like what what type of stuff like fired you up that that um, was well, that you were connected to. How much time do we have? Let's see. Um, <laughs> we got a little well, bit of time left. <laughs> so I was born and raised in Chicago, right? Mm -hmm. And 
you know, my family's from Puerto Rico, and so I always say I'm, you know, Puerto Rican from Chicago. Yeah. And, you know, so I grew up in the Bucktown Logan Square community at a time when sort of nobody wanted to go there. Um, and so I watched that community change, yeah. right, and gentrify. And it really is what spurred my interest in community work because I got involved with sort of artists at the time. My undergrad is from UIC in art and design hmm. uh, with emphasis in photography and film. A lot of people don't know that part of me. Wow. Um, and but it was always done in now I have the words for it right it was like using artists social justice yeah. you know back then it was about you know artists tired of getting pushed out of communities and yeah. so in the Bucktown Wicker Park community they organized a lot to try to fight the gentrification that was happening and so I joined my first board of directors the Near Northwest Neighborhood Network I started learning about you know what a nonprofit is what a board is what funding is about, you know, 501c3 bylaws, all that stuff. You know, from that, I got involved with Christopher House, which is a social service agency right on the mm -hmm. north side, because I had met a lot of people who either worked there at one time or they did currently, but they always talked really well about it. So in the early 90s when the recession hit and nobody was hiring photographers, I I you know, was looking in the help wanted section and saw this job at Christopher House and it's kind of funny because it was a job to work in a teen parent program, okay. Parents Too Soon, and I, uh, you know, I got that job because it was a coordinator job. I didn't know anything about early childhood development, adolescent development, mm. but when I was 16 my brother was born and being Latina everybody thought he was mine, <laughs> so I spun that and I got, I got in the door and, <laughs> and you know, so working there I, I really cut my social work teeth and and learned a lot about you know social work and again justice issues and you know that's you know that's when I met the first Polk Brothers Foundation mm -hmm. program officer who came to review us um, and and so you know long story as I said um, mm -hmm. you know I eventually went back to school and you know got involved with um, you know what it meant to be a social worker and interned here at the foundation and you know I'm here today you know able to talk to you so mm -hmm. oh, I think I forgot what your original question was well we're just talking a little bit about your act like your act oh the activism right right yeah, right so kind of what just drove that I mean you spoke a little bit to it but yeah. right right so you know so I kind of became this activist without realizing I was one right mm -hmm. I, I think that's probably true for a lot of people and you know, in the process, I also came out, right? Mm -hmm. So my process of coming out and doing activism and starting an organization that was called Amigas Latinas was a parallel process that happened. And so then I, you know, I go to grad school, then I get this internship here, and, you know, my thought was, oh, my God, do I have to put the torch down because mm -hmm. now I have to focus on having, like, this real job. Yeah. And, again, I was very fortunate that, it was nurtured here that, you know, that activism, again, informed the work that I was doing. I mean, it was funny that the first time I had to review proposals, I was familiar with, you know, several of them yeah. and thought, you know, well, I can't review these groups because I know too much about them. And, you know, the foundation said, no, it's because you know the groups yeah. that you're able to bring that eye. And that was, I thought that was a real honest and respectful way, you know, t to you know, to kind of nurture, you know, my identities and, and my knowledge and my activism a, as part of becoming a good grant maker. Mm -hmm. and, and I've always been, you know, indebted to 
you know, Nikki Stein, who, you know, hired me here, and certainly Sandy Guthman, who continues to be the board chair, that they just really respected that. And I yeah. think that's what makes this foundation the great foundation that it is. That's fantastic. Um, are there things that you wish you knew, either about mm -hmm. your work as an activist or even your work in philanthropy? Um, Boy, I wish I started much sooner. I'm a bit yeah. of a late bloomer in many ways. Um, yeah. You know, growing up, <clears throat> I didn't know what you know sort of philanthropy was. Yeah. Um, I didn't know what a philanthropist was. I didn't know what a foundation was. You know, I was probably familiar with the MacArthur Foundation because everybody knows them from Channel 11. I mean, I, I didn't know what this work was. <clears throat> And so, you know, sometimes I think I wish that I, you know, I would have learned more about it. And yet, you know, I have to believe that the roads I've taken have led me to today. And mm -hmm. so, um, yeah, so, yeah, I, 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 yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, that, that's fair. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I guess, you know, a question that I'm thinking about is we intersect in a number of different spaces, but Chicago Latinos and philanthropy and Nuestra Futura are, are, are two. Um, I'm curious. Uh, what you, uh, on your perspective on building Latino influence within philanthropy, right? Um, how would you how how would you I guess discuss that? Well, you know, I mean, Latinos are very philanthropic, mm -hmm. right? I mean, research has shown that percentage-wise, we give away more money than you know than than other communities. Um, I mean, that might be a bit of a generalization, but mm -hmm. you know. We don't make as much, but we still give a lot. And you know, Latinos give; they just might be very choosy as to where they give, mm -hmm. right? Um, and, and so, the work that you know Clip has done in the past, you know, and 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 now, and with Nuestro Futuro, I mean, just really shows that there is a need, you know, for um, outlets for Latinos to come together to really kind of pool their money and channel their money and really target their money, you know, to the needs that are out there. Um, I think we have, you know, ways to go still to learn. Mm -hmm. yeah, we have a lot of external factors kind of weighing us down, especially with, again, the new administration kind of fear-mongering around, you know, immigration and what's going to happen and building the wall and, you know, and, you know, those are the easy ones, right? Everybody goes like, oh, yeah, the wall, you know, Latinos, and yet, you know, anything you do around reproductive health, around environmental stuff, um, you know, that impacts Latinos as yeah. well, right? Because, mm -hmm. you know, we're everywhere. Um, and so Latino giving, um, you know, needs to, to be more than it is right now, but, you know, but Latinos are very philanthropic, mm -hmm. right? I mean, education, we love education, we support education fiercely. Disaster relief, we are the first ones to take out the checkbooks to make sure that, you know, uh, resources can be, you know, gathered. Um, you know, what excites me about Nuestro Futuro and, and the Latino Giving Circle is all the young, up-and-coming, right, emerging philanthropists that are out there mm -hmm. who, you know, philanthropy has been part of their life, mm -hmm. you know, from the get-go, whether it's, you know, texting on your phone to a fundraiser or a GoFundMe page or, yeah. you know, participating in the uh, I'll Give campaign from Forefront. I mean, there are ways that, uh, you know, folks are raising money that, I have to try to catch up on, yeah. um, but you know we need to continue to influence even more giving, um, so that you give to your favorite charity, and then you give to something that's maybe new to you, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe something that you think doesn't affect you, you know, but but really does. Really um, does. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the thing. Um, <laughs> I'm also curious, like you know, there's a lot of conversation right now in philanthropy around 
uh, racial equity, right, and how foundations can be more responsive um, to solving for racial equity issues. Um, I guess it's a dual fold question. Like, you know, how is is Polk thinking about or, or or tackling some of that work? And then the secondary side, and we can revisit the question. Um, but it's how are, how are Latinos playing a role in that? Well, at the foundation, we've participated in racial equity training mm -hmm. with the staff because um, it's something we've been talking about for um, a long time. My colleague Deborah Bennett has, you know, wanted us to do this, and so in the, in the last year, we have done that. And I have to tell you, I was a little concerned how that conversation was going to go with yeah. everybody, but it went really well. I mean, just having creating the time and space you know, to talk about race, to talk about equity issues and how it affects us personally. Mm -hmm. It was really powerful for everybody to share stories. Um, you know, the tricky conversation occurred when we started thinking about, well, what does a racial equity lens for our grant making mean, right? Mm -hmm. Given that, you know, the question we answer is about poverty, right, with our money, right? How do we help Chicagoans, right, impacted by poverty? It doesn't mean you're necessarily using a racial equity lens. So mm -hmm. it's really forced us to try to, um, you know, kind of explore and unpack what that means. Um, and so some of our future grant making, you know, might be guided by that. Mm -hmm. You know, and yet, you know, we don't want to be very um, right prescriptive with organizations to say, you know, let me look under your hood. You know, who's on your board? What's the makeup? You know. I mean, there's just some responsibility that comes with that if, if you're starting to ask those kinds of questions. Um, but certainly things that are going on in the city around community violence, around um, the police accountability work um, is, is really forcing that issue right to the surface. And so again, you know, we've participated in that here. Um, and again, you know, you're talking about a race equity lens, and so people might say, well, what does that mean for, like, immigration or Latinos? And you know, Eric, in, in the Latino community, we have all races, <laughs> and we can have that conversation ourselves just yeah. in the Latino community. Yeah. So um, that is part and parcel with the conversation that we're having because, again, our dollars are used to support programs that are working in Latino communities, yeah. in African-American communities, LGBT communities. Yeah. Um, and so that work I'm really excited about moving forward because, you know, as Obama has left, as the, as the new administration has come on board, you know, we've opened up that box. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we can't close that box on race yeah. and equity issues. And um, a lot of actions that are being taken are really um, challenging that, that conversation in, you know, some ugly ways. And I, I really do fear that, uh, you know, what's going to come down the pike. Um, there's going to be a lot more violence happening. I do. Yeah. Um, it's a violent thing that is happening in terms of how some of this stuff is playing out. Yeah. And so we have to keep talking about these issues. It's not going to be easy, but I know in Chicago, in the foundation world, several foundations are already have already gone down yeah. that road. And so we've been building up some of the groundwork um, to really start to have some serious conversations because there's just not enough money. And so we have to use it really, again, wisely, thoughtfully. And, you know, to address, you know, inequities, not just, you know, sort of the poverty at the kind of surface level, but to really start to get down to those root causes. Yeah. That's not easy, and that's a little bit messy work, but if it isn't, then we're not doing it right. For sure. Uh, just two final questions. Sure. Um, 
Any any uh, books that are on your reading list right now that you might want to share with folks? Yeah, books. Um, well, as part of the work that we're doing here at the foundation, we're reading family properties. Um, so that's been quite fascinating, and, and I don't want to say eye-opening. You know, m maybe eye-opening and affirming at the same time. Um, you know, I read a lot of sort of the the journals, right? Mm -hmm. Chronicle of Philanthropy, Nonprofit Quarterly. I mean, those are the ones that I get those e-blasts every morning. Yeah. And just trying to keep up with that has been really interesting. Um, I got. Uh, you know, DNA info, I think, is becoming an important source for <laughs> Chicago, yeah. right? Um, I'm really paying attention to, you know, daily what is happening now, both in D.C. as well as the state level, yeah. because those decisions are just going to, you know, mm -hmm. roll out and impact our communities, you know, triple and fourfold. Um, so I would love to do some easy breezy reading but I just haven't been able to I'm really about reading about philanthropy and yeah. uh, you know the nonprofit sector um, but the family properties book I really recommend it's a fascinating book great and any tips for folks that are stepping into or would like to step into philanthropy yeah, yeah I mean w you know that philanthropy you know for every right one philanthropy job that's out there there's you know 20 development jobs mm -hmm. and 150, you know, nonprofit line staff jobs. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, I often say, you know, we fund 370 organizations a year here. I have, you know, six, seven people reviewing the proposals. And in those 370 organizations, there's at least one person writing the grant. So yeah. if you just do the numbers, you know that it's not easy to break into this field. But there have been, you know, in the last year, multiple jobs that have opened up, right? We hired, you know, a couple people here, other foundations that are hiring, um, program officers. I would say, you know, I think the trend is for foundations to hire former doers, people who have been in nonprofit work, right, have been, um, now, you know, who are knowledgeable about the particular issues, right? I mean, if, if, you know, ABC Foundation is looking for a health program officer and your specialty is education, you're probably not going to get looked at no matter how good your resume is. Yeah. And vice versa, if they're looking for a workforce person and you've got, you know, arts background, then that's probably not going to work, right? Um, so I often tell folks, um, you know, I teach a class at UC at the SSA program, I tell students, you know, get to understand the issue areas that really matter to you. And if you have 10 issue areas that matter to you, then get to know all those issue areas because those issue areas overlap, mm -hmm. right? People in need, families in need don't manifest in one area, yeah. right? homeless person isn't just homeless, right? It's about that person's health. It's about that person's need to enter the workforce again. Mm -hmm. Similarly, if you're, right, coming out of jail, right, yeah. your need is probably not just that you need a job, right? You also probably need housing. You mm -hmm. might need mental health mm -hmm. um, counseling. So get to know, I guess it's like get to know the intersectionality of issues. Yeah. You know, understand the literature that is out there. Yeah. You know, sometimes the literature is right on point. Sometimes it's a little, you know, one year behind. So mm -hmm. what is really happening on the ground? Get to know so that when you're, you know, you get your foot in the door and you might get interviewed, they're going to ask you about particular issues yeah. and you need to know how those issues are manifesting. Yeah. Um, and, you know, similarly, you need to, unlike me, you know, answer the question and shut up yeah. and not go on and on and on. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Yvette, this was really great. Thanks so much for the time today. Oh, it was today. such a pleasure. My pleasure. I'm glad you asked me. All right. Take care. Okay. You bet.
That was Yvette Cardona, Vice President of Programs at the Polk Brothers Foundation. As always, I appreciate you tuning in. And if you're finding value from our conversations, I hope you'll leave a five-star review on iTunes or your podcast platform of choice. Thanks again for listening, and until the next one, peace.